0: Today's Gospel reading comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 18, 15 through 20, Matthew 18, 15 through 20. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one of the two others along with you that every change may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them.
1: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God our rock, and our redeemer. For quite a long time, I was baffled by what Jesus says toward the end of today's gospel passage. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. John Howard Yoder, in his book Body Politics, opened this up for me a number of years back when I first read that book. It is a book that I strongly recommend um, each of you check out at some point. Yoder says this about this passage. In this key passage of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus instructed his disciples that when they would carry out this particular practice, following these simple instructions, their activity would at the same time be the activity of God. What you bind on earth is bound in heaven, he said, Matthew 18, 18. Jesus thereby mandated a specific human activity, describing in some detail how it should proceed. God would at the same time be acting in, with, and under that human activity. In other words, there is a connection between the work of the church and the ways that we in church community interact with one another and God's work. In rabbinic usage, and we see Jesus teaching here as a rabbi would have, bind is to obligate in some way and loose is to release from obligation. Jesus is talking about obligations and release. We are given here a way to handle conflict within the community that shows us how to live into the kingdom of God and the work of God right here and right now. There are few places we are given such specific guidance in Scripture. But the unity of the church is so important. Figuring out how to live together through disagreement is such a key element to the life that Christ sets out for the church that here we have some pretty explicit instructions. But that said, this passage is not important because it is a rule book for conflict management. It is important because it refocuses our goals as a community when the going gets rough. This is not a gotcha to the offender, but a way to seek reconciliation with our siblings in Christ. The purpose is not discipline, it is reconciliation, it is community. Jesus says something similar in the Gospel of John in John 20, 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. While all of our sins surely have been forgiven in Jesus Christ, there is something spiritually crippling about leaving a sin against you, unforgiven. There is something toxic and damaging to our souls when we let hurts go unaddressed. We pray often in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We are forgiven in Jesus But by failing to forgive others and seek reconciliation with them, we are refusing to live into that forgiveness. And that is literally soul crushing. Interestingly, the oldest manuscripts we have of the Gospel of Matthew do not have the phrase against you at the end of if your sister or brother sins. So this passage is applicable also to situations in which a person sins against another, but the offended party doesn't know. Or for situations in which the offended party might not be able to speak up for themselves for some reason, maybe fear or unhealthy power dynamics. If you see another brother or sister do something hurtful to someone else and the hurt party doesn't know who did it or can't speak up for themselves we are called to stand up for them, to confront the conflict. This is less about the sinner and more about looking out for those who have been hurt, even when they aren't able to stand up for themselves. It's not about tattling on people or gossip or judging the sin of others. I am not suggesting that we all go home and start calling up everyone we think is sinning in some way and telling them what's what. What this passage is talking about is when one person has been hurt directly by the actions of another. Because when we ignore, avoid, blow off, or try to justify situations in which a person has been hurt by a brother or sister in Christ, we allow toxic and dangerous patterns of interaction to fester in the community. I've seen that kill churches, seen that damage and destroy families and friendships, and that is a slow and painful death. This also puts responsibility on us to confront conflict and hurt and disagreement. That's very hard and sometimes painful work. But the church is not just a voluntary club that we come and go from as we please. We're missing the point if we are too quick to find a better fit, where we agree with everyone. You will never find that. Not ever. You will not ever, ever find a church that always says and does things you agree with. You will not ever find a pastor or elders or deacons or staff who all do and say things you always agree with. There will be conflict, and Jesus says, get to it quickly and directly before it can grow. He goes on to say, if you come to the other and they aren't willing to talk or admit any wrongdoing, and there is no resolution, it does not bring reconciliation then get one or two other people involved as unbiased witnesses. Not a whole gang of people. This isn't a ganging up. Not the one or two people you know will be on your side. One or two people who have nothing invested emotionally in the situation. Because sometimes all it takes is another person who's not caught up in the emotional heat of a situation to see things in a clearer light. Maybe the other person wasn't wrong. Maybe you were. And those mediators you bring in will be able to help you see that. Either way, another person can be helpful. Again, there's nothing magical about it. But there is love in that vulnerable action of going to another person and saying, we need your help with this. Where are we going wrong here? And after that, the purpose of going to church leaders is not to get The offending party in trouble. It's to promote growth and healing. All through this process is the opportunity for growth, the goal of healing, the goal of wholeness in all relationships. Because if we are to grow as Christians, we have to be willing to help each other grow, we have to be willing to grow and change as a community. Sometimes we go to the church and we find out it wasn't the other person who was in the wrong. Sometimes we find out we were the wrong. Sometimes we find out we were both in the wrong. Now, it's really interesting where Jesus takes this train of thought after bringing in witnesses and then church leaders. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Some churches throughout history have interpreted this as meaning excommunication. But how did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? There is not a single example in Scripture of Jesus excommunicating a pagan or a tax collector. He treated them the same way he demanded the disciples treat little children just a few verses back before this. Let them come to me, he says. Treat them with respect and kindness and love, give grace, pray for them. Don't do anything that might cause them to sin or cause them harm. Do everything you can to love them and teach them and bring them back to God's desire for their life. Jesus continued to teach and love the pagans and the tax collectors, even when they weren't catching on very quickly. He sat with them, he taught them, and he continued to minister to them. He saw their unique potential and the possibilities for them through his grace. This passage is all about love, grace, and healing. This passage doesn't always get a lot of limelight, but we need to be careful not to blow it off because we cannot thrive in our faith journey Without community life. I get really sad when I hear people tell me that they are spiritual, but not religious. That they can be a Christian on their own. Because what that means is that they have a heart to grow and learn in a spiritual journey. They want that. But they have been wounded at some point by the church. The very place that is supposed to be the safe place for that sort of exploration. Church is a fellowship of believers who are united in Christ. We are a body, parts of a whole. This is why we can't grow as Christians if we are isolated from other Christians. I'm a Christian, but I just don't go to church. doesn't work. Because then who's going to call us out on the areas in which we are stale or just flat-out wrong and hurtful? We can't change and grow if we are unwilling to confront those places in which we need to change and grow. We can't change and grow if we don't see those places. Avoidance of conflict, refusal to deal with it or confront it or have difficult conversations or disagreements is harmful to the entire community. We are given this plan for reconciliation, not because this is a magic formula for conflict resolution, but because it is the loving thing to do. Approach the person who offended you with honesty, humility, and grace. Be upfront about how you felt. Be willing to admit if it was all just a big misunderstanding. Extend the hand of forgiveness and love. Be willing to confess and to ask for forgiveness and love. And assume the best about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because something small, left to fester, grows with time. Something large grows even faster and larger. These wounds begin to spread and affect relationships outside of that which was originally affected. And this gnarled, chaotic mess of unresolved conflict and lack of forgiveness and grace kills churches. It destroys families. It tears apart friendships. The best relationships are always the ones in which you can say, that hurt my feelings. And know that you will be received with love and grace. Isn't the church meant to not just be friends with one another, but brothers and sisters? How much safer should we be here to confront these things when they are fresh, before they cause lasting damage? This isn't an easy task, and Jesus knows it. I don't think there's anything Jesus asks us to do that is easy. If this were an easy task, we would all start there all of the time, and Jesus would not have had to have this conversation with the disciples in the first place. But as difficult as it is, Jesus tells us it's starting in this awkward place that will set the tone for healing and reconciliation In the relationship. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus laying out the foundations for what will become the church. He's just been talking before this to the disciples about treating all people with respect and dignity, including little children. And then he goes on to tell them that they should never cause another person to stumble in their walk of faith. Don't cause another person to sin. And in this passage, he addresses the issue one step further. And if you happen to be hurt by another person's sin, here's how to handle it. Not causing another person to sin is important, and just as important is that we are not supposed to sit by and watch while another person treats the people around them sinfully or causes hurt. It's not a passage about how to follow the rules. It's not a self-help essay on how to improve relationship dynamics, and it's certainly not an argument for excommunication. It's about open communication with one another. It's about maintaining healthy church family. It's about respect and grace and love. The concern here is not that the rules will be followed to a T, but that there will be growth in the lives of the people walking in community with one another. Jesus says, uh, just after this, in the next few verses of Matthew, he talks about forgiveness. Peter asks Jesus, how many times we have to forgive? After Jesus has talked about this forgiveness process, Peter says, how many times? And Jesus says, think about the biggest number you've ever had to use and forgive at least that many times. Relationships are hard. Those who've been in a church community for an extended time know that relationships are both forged and damaged in community life together. No friendship, no relationship survives without making an effort to walk with each other honestly and to work at it, and it takes both parties. The relationships we find in the context of church family are no different. If we are to be the body of Christ, we're going to have to consider the importance of relationships in the fellowship of the church and acknowledge that they are hard work. We have to choose to work at them. But God put you here for a reason. Jesus didn't gather up this particular group of saints in this particular time and place in this particularly odd live stream format for no reason or by chance. This specific community, living out its life the way that it is right now, matters. The Holy Spirit is the one who brought these two congregations together four years ago and who timed things just right, that right when everyone was really starting to gel and get used to one another across those congregational boundaries, we were tossed into a situation in which We are all doing all the things together all the time. Emsworth and St. Andrews have done nothing separately in the past year. And that is a beautiful spirit-led thing. Hasn't been easy, but it's been good. Those of you who've been part of this community for the better part of a century and those who've been here just a couple years, you are all here right now for a reason. You have been bound to the people in this congregation, and by this congregation, I mean St. Andrews and Emsworth all lumped together. You've been bound together by the work of Jesus. Take a moment and just let that sit with you. You were chosen and gathered into this community for a reason. For this time and this place, And this unusual circumstance, it is not an accident that you are worshiping with us today in this way. The well-being of every person in this community matters so deeply that Jesus left us instructions on how to live together through inevitable conflict and troubles. Each person matters so deeply that every wound is to be tended to and healed. And what a weight lifted off of our spirits that is. What a soul-nourishing moment to be truly released from those burdens. To sum up, let me read another piece from Yoder's Body Politics. In sum, to be human is to be in conflict, to offend and to be offended. To be human in the light of the gospel is to face conflict in redemptive dialogue. When we do that, it is God who does it. When we do that, we demonstrate that to process conflict is not merely a palliative strategy for tolerable survival or psychic hygiene, but a mode of truth-finding and community-building. That is true in the gospel. It is also true in the world. Amen.